0: The Bucs got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Oscar Pereira lays it up. One point four. Pereira hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucs win. Bucs okay, game. spotting for three. The place is gonna erupt. Oh Deuce Bellow. he's gonna make Sports Center with an incredible Jones- move. They got him. Money. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the
1: sidekick. shout out to my friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It somebody. doesn't matter what
2: your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent.
0: It's Sandoz and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher. Mike sleepwalking through today's show after driving down to Macon, Georgia, and back as the ETSU women's basketball team finally break the streak against the Mercer Bears. They pick up the victory. We'll recap that. We'll preview their contest at Sanford on Saturday. We'll talk ETSU basketball. Refuse to use the word rivalry. It's ETSU versus Chattanooga. And then uh, we'll do fail downs. We didn't do it on Wednesday. Going to do it on Friday. And last but not least, our Friday favorite, bowl Jays leading Mike predictions.
1: Yeah, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Not my favorite anymore. Not my favorite anymore. I I think I I might. Maybe I should just abstain. Maybe you'll lose points in bold predictions over the next few weeks Mm. and already take the lead, and I won't have to make any bold predictions after these next So you're going winning percentage over total wins? You're you're just trying to make a comeback. You're still sleepwalking? You okay, buddy? I'm I'm sleepwalking, and I'm just trying to come up with any idea I possibly can to turn around my horrific luck in bowl predictions. Luck or lack of skill. It just hasn't been good. I'm on a bad streak. I've gone through a couple of them this year.
0: Yeah. All right. right, We'll let him recover. Let's talk about – speaking of streaks, let's talk about ending the streak. So maybe if ETSU women's basketball can end a streak, that'll help you in bowl predictions. We'll check that out a little later. But last night, that was – And sort of what we talked about, or at least I talked about a lot, if you can get to 70 and hold teams under 70, I think that's a great recipe to pick up a win. Now, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I did not see the massive double-double from Shania Jackson, but that was a pleasant uh, surprise. Eight of 11 from the field, 23 or 22. Was it 23? 22. 22 points for Shania Jackson. Certainly led the way. She got some help. But to me, it all started with that.
1: Yeah, no question. When you're back home in front of your home fans, you want to show out, right? And what you see when you roll into Macon is signs for Warner Robins, Georgia, very close nearby and 15, 20 minutes down the road. And so for Shania Jackson, it's always a special occasion when she gets to go back to Hawkins Arena and play the Bears. And she had another 30 or 40 people there after, I'd say, 40 or 50 last year. She hit a corner three in front of ETSU's bench. Last season didn't get as many minutes, of course, but it was a big three at the time. Mercer went on to go undefeated in the conference, we know. But the Bucs at that point were down one in the first half as we wound towards halftime. So for Shania Jackson, she had a big moment there. And then just from the get go, you could see it in her eyes. She loves being back in that arena, she loves being back around home. And she absolutely torched Mercer from the get go. It just was an impressive performance. I think she started. 8 of 8. She was 6 of 6 within the first about 15 or so minutes of the game and 16 points at halftime, just 3 short of her career high. Now, they didn't go to her as much in that second half, but she did end up with 22, broke her personal high of 19 points against against Appalachian State. So she gets 22, and you saw some things, and we talked about it after the Wake Forest game, you need to sometimes have some... um, performances that are outside of what you'd expect outside of the norm in order to either upset a power five team or in this case against a mercer team that yes they are down but they were getting some great individual performances last night to amoria neil Tyser, shannon titus jaron doherty they combined for 62 of the team 66 points i was pretty shocked to see they have very little outside of that and that was very plain to the eye and they were missing tia benvenuti and we're having to play some more players that don't usually uh I'd say get over four or five minutes. You know, Emily Stradling, 17 minutes here. Votaw played 13. And Jill Harris is being pressed into starting point guard duties because Jordan McLaughlin is gone, and Harris just is not a scorer. She's a distributor but did not score last night, had five assists. And ETSU just keyed by Shania, and then getting some – Performances outside of the norm from Arielle Harvey. First double-digit game for her in a Buccaneer uniform going 4-of-4 four four from the field. I know you've talked about it repeatedly on the show. You think that's there for her, and we finally saw it hit 2 outside the arc. and Micah Sheets extends her double-digit streak to 18 points. You kind of expect that, but then you look at Gabby Brown. She hits a 3, right? She was 4-of-28, or 3-of-28, I should say, coming into the game wearing blue and gold from beyond the arc. Sierra Perdue. Gets a deuce, so you look at the difference in the game, and much like Wake Forest, while well, you get the huge night from Shania Jackson, which she does throw on the board every here and there, you know you get Micah Sheets to have the double digit game. You expect that, but you get Ariel Harvey kind of go over the top and do her best and put together her most prominent performance in an ETSU uniform. You get the three from Gabby Brown. You get the basket from Sierra Purdue, and that's really what made the difference.
0: I think going to Ariel Harvey, and I've likened it to batting practice, but that's not a fair comparison. The reason I think Ariel Harvey has that in her is because when you watch um, shoot-around, you watch practice, it's at game speed. When you watch batting practice, right, it's belt-high lukewarm, right? And you're just trying to feel good about yourself. It's not really – nobody's throwing, you know, 90-mile-an-hour you know, fastball to you and throwing sliders, right? I mean, they're just pumping them in there. You're hitting the ball. So I think it's, it's a way better indication – of watching shoot-around when when running drills, running plays, going against a scout team and trying to do things. So I've been waiting on Ariel Harvey because I feel like she can do that every night. She's too talented of a shooter not to do it. The anomaly on the other side of the floor is if you were to look at me and go, hey, three players for Mercer is going to put up 62 points, I, I'm sitting here going, well, it's going to be a long day. Right? I, I mean, there, there's no way you would look at that and go three players combined for 62 you're at least probably giving up 80 points and probably a loss. But for Mercer, boy, it was a real struggle for everybody else, just two players with uh, a bucket each in straddling a Vota. And other than that, I mean, that, that was it. I mean, they have five players, is that right? Yeah, five, no, six players combined for four points. I mean, that's just a try. You, you think you have some struggles on the offensive end, no matter where you are, what team in the country, that's some struggles. I mean, that's some serious struggles. So I was glad to see – ETSU have that big second quarter and then finish strong. And I think that was very important to them. And what really, uh, across the board... Was an all around great game by most players. Even Kai Upton didn't score, was phenomenal in the defense event. Here's Coach Azell summarizing the win.
2: The big first for us it's the first time we've won down here in, in nine attempts. And uh, I, I'm so proud of our kids, how tough they were. They had every reason to, to fold when Mercer started making the run. And, uh, you know, Jada gets hurt in the first quarter, goes out, doesn't come back in the rest of the game. Kaya has to play uh, the entire game, and she's still beat up. Um, but, you know, I, for the ones that you mentioned, Shania, Ariel, Micah, uh, I don't think I can say enough about how tough Kaya Upton is. Um, sometimes we get lost in statistics, but if you watch the game, she is just such a tough kid. She takes a beating, she guards the other team's best player, she handles their prep. I mean, just a tough kid, and she's just a sophomore and getting better. I, I can't say enough about our collective toughness. To go 14-15 from the free throw line on the road in a tough environment, i, I just really proud of them.
1: There's a lot to unpack there. Firstly, Kaya Upton talking about her and bringing in the free throw point. She's made 15 consecutive free throws over the last six games, and that's something with Upton and a lot of these Bucks that in the past they've struggled with, right? You end the season right now, and ETSU would have their best free throw percentage under Coach Giselle in her time here. They've now gone over 75% in a game eight times this season after just six last year and to see Upton you mentioned it closing strong Upton and Micah Sheets going to the line hitting their free throws. Shania Jackson as well you look at Sheets Jackson and Upton 13 of 13 combined the only other free throws at least Stafford went one of two but 93.3 percent second best free throw percentage in program history in a game and and Kaya Upton we haven't mentioned her statistical outlier and going above and beyond right yes she did not uh, have a field goal going 0 of 7 did have those four free throws but seven assists six different times in her career she had six assists tying her career high now finally she's gotten over that hump and she has set a new career high with seven has done that just one time six was kind of getting to be an old number for her but seven assists now she does have the turnovers but she's doing so much ball handling um, the ball is in her hands so much, especially with Jada Craig's injury. I was able to play only four minutes. And then you look at the bench, Maya Adams and Sierra Purdue only played five and four minutes respectively. So a lot of this game, the vast majority was Sheets, Jackson, Upton, Stafford, Harvey, Kimbrough, and Gabby Brown. And the toughness of Kaya Upton showed. Her distributing ability showed. And like Coach all said, the run that Mercer made, every good team makes a run, right? We know that. How long can you sustain it before you just run out of gas trying to dig yourself out of a hole? And ETSU was up by 16 in the third quarter. They had gone on like a 33 to 15 run spanning 14 minutes in the middle of the game. And then – Mercer starts to chip away. They started to change the game with a front court press. You get across half court and then you just double whoever has the ball, and that's a really taxing thing to have to do for an extended period of time. Now, it worked. Shannon Titus is leading the Southern Conference in steals, and she had another good night in the takeaway department. Seven of them, as a matter of fact, go along with her 20 points and five rebounds, but. I think that it ended up costing Mercer. While it got him back in the game, they just exerted so much energy trying to take the ball away to be able to sustain that run for the amount of time they needed. They almost got there. It was a one-possession game a couple times late, but ETSU was able to rest on that big lead that they built early in the game.
0: Well, the, the impressive first half where they shot like 60% or right at it, but the second quarter, 10 of 13 from the floor, 5 of 5 from 3, 2 yep. of 2 from the line. I mean, to me, that, that just sort of put a stranglehold on it, which they never gave up. Now, Mercer, as you mentioned, kept coming back, but we've talked about that. What's a sign of a good team? What's a sign? And Coach, he's all talking about maybe turning the corner. We don't have I didn't pick that bite that we're gonna to listen to, but that was an interesting one to talk about how they're starting to take ownership and this is their team and some other things there. But I, I thought that was an important quarter um because for me it was where I was transitioning out of the car, uh into the app inside and then kind of feeling like okay, pretty good first quarter and then just hearing, you know, Bucket and Bucket, especially Shania Jackson, you know, with five of those uh, half of the team's field goals during that quarter go down. And you, you, as you mentioned, it sounded like a special night. I didn't get a chance to watch any of it, but I to most of your call. And so you could just kind of get the feeling that, you know, for whatever reason, whether it was the homecoming, confidence level, just, you know, maybe like Tisdale against West Carolina, just it all felt right that night or whatever it was. But it was good to see. And I think in a very important win, and you feel so much better, especially on a first of two-game road trips, and you've been struggling after two home losses, to pick up that win, and now a lot of confidence going into the next game. But before we do that, uh, Coach Giselle just talked about representing the E. I
2: think the big thing is Susie's done such a good job here with the program and and really established it not only in our league but nationally. You know, the things they did in the tournament last year against Iowa with a chance to win. And, you know, you you start to gauge yourself against different people in the conference, but – We need to to re-elevate our program. And she's in the process of re-elevating hers. And like we said before the game, you know, the name's still the same, but the faces have changed. And the faces are really, for us, starting to believe in that name and really starting to understand what it means to put that big blue E on and, and how much pride and how hard you have to play. Uh, to represent that universe.
1: First time ETSU has scored 70 or more against a Division I opponent this year. Came at the perfect time. They needed almost all of it in the six-point win. Now they move on to Sanford.
2: Much improved Sanford team. They can shoot it from all five positions. They've got a really good low post player in, in Natalie Armstrong. So we're going to have our hands full. Uh, but we're not going to worry about them till tomorrow morning. Well, I'll worry about them in about 15 <laughs> minutes. But nobody else will until t- tomorrow uh we're gonna go enjoy this celebrate this saturday uh, will be a big day for a couple different reasons um you know obviously playing Sanford is exciting but it'll be coach mcclinic's birthday and uh as you know she's associate head coach for us and and an integral part of all the good things that we're doing so um grateful for what our people are doing grateful for the people that supported this team
1: and this is a Sanford team that you and me have talked about very different from what they've been and i think it's a very key point that you made to get the front end now you don't have to go to a pretty empty arena. Now, it is going to be a doubleheader, and the men are playing first for that Sanford game, so we'll see if people stick around and what the atmosphere is like. I'm guessing they're selling one ticket to both, so at that point, why not stick around Uh, so they could get a good crowd. In the past, it's been empty, and I think some of that had to do with the style of play. It just isn't a fun style of basketball to watch. The results also just haven't really been there in recent history, but they do look much improved, and they beat Chattanooga last night, the Sanford squad. Like a drum. Yeah, and Carly Coons is their new head coach in her first year, and she has really changed things quickly. It's someone that Coach Zell knows very well, helped her get that job. So – The league really filling up with Coach Giselle's uh, friends, assistants, uh, wherever she may have come across them. And she told me last night in the pregame show that actually Susie Gardner gave her her first job out of college. So uh, there's connections everywhere. This one specifically, it'll be interesting to see what the first year in the league for a new head coach against Coach Giselle. They know each other very well. What will the cat and mouse game be like on the benches? That's what I'm interested to see because they don't know do know each other so well,
0: yeah, and you know terminology that that's the one thing that happens sometimes with coaches you get so ingrained on your terminology and then you get to play somebody and then you call out something and even if it's not the exact same play, but they're calling out a certain cut, a certain thing or how they want to defend something like for you know Co- coach forbes a lot it's it's how they defense the ball screen are we gonna ice it are we gonna monster it this that and the other. Think about if he, if, if Jason Shay or B.J. Mackey or Brooks Savage is taking out of the job, and he's on ice or I mean, the coach knows, right? Oh, they're coming to double team. They know exactly what's going on. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, sort of how how that plays out because I think that's things that people don't understand. Sure, you can call a play the same thing and change it up a little bit, but there's still some terminology things that are out there. Um, and I was shocked because Chattanooga was playing very good basketball. I mean, Sanford led by as many as twenty one. At one point in time in that game. And boy, Natalie Armstrong, coach mentioned she had a monster game again 22 points on nine of 16 shooting. So, in 28 minutes of action. So, pretty efficient there. And I thought the impressive thing was the points off turnovers because that's something, particularly again, Sanford in the old system didn't force a lot of turnovers. And number two, if they capitalize it, it was using, you know, 30 seconds of the shot clock. Now they're able to to take the ball, get some fast break points. Uh, 9 nothing compared to Chattanooga. So that's very new on just a different style and tempo that they want to do. But 28 points off turnovers against Chattanooga, 9-0 on fast break points. And so a big win for Sanford. They'll be riding a, a big win as well. And with Chattanooga losing, coming back down to the pack maybe a little bit, ETSU still got – again, I still stick by the statement. I think the way the league has broken down so far this year, it literally – the the two through seven could finish uh, you know now I'm convinced maybe Furman's not the the dead set number two two through seven still up for grabs for anybody who wants it
1: yeah and I mean these some of these wins for Sanford they're not bad you know on the road at Wofford win by 16 and Furman on the road hung right with the Paladins lost by eight then you beat Mercer at home by eight and then the 14 point kind of head turner I know Chattanooga had a really rough non-conference but you started to think, well, maybe they're learning some things, figuring out themselves a little bit more. Lakeland Bolden's got a lot of experience there, so that was going to be interesting to see how she progressed and kind of led this team throughout the year. But then Sanford just makes that statement and kind of goes back to the suffocating style of play uh, that they had for so long under their previous regime. Uh, should note that Carly Coons was with Brittany Zoll at Belmont, so it has been a little bit of time since they've been together, but I think that's always going to be in the back of your head as a head coach, you know, and you have to also try to counteract the thought in the back of your mind that says, oh, they're going to know everything we do. You also can't overthink it because you can't have in your head the entire game, well, this person's trying to get inside my head. You know, it's, it's almost one of those things where you have to find a fine balance between, okay, I should probably change these type of things up, but... This person's also been living a completely different life than me for the last seven or eight years. So their world doesn't revolve around me. We've done our separate things, gone our separate ways, learned our separate lessons at this point. So that'll be interesting, but it'll also be interesting to see how Shani Jackson follows up her big game think Kaya Upton be more active offensively scoring the basketball? Now, her toughness is great. They will probably need a few more points, but if she can also put together career highs and assists, that'll be big too. Micah Sheets, obviously the ever-present factor that she is, and then, again, at a effort like an Ariel Harvey's it doesn't have to be Harvey it can be a Sierra Purdue a Gabby Brown if Jada Craig's healthy Amaya Adams still kind of dealing with the ankle maybe she'll be able to come along a bit more but uh, if you can get something like that off the bench outside of Ty Kimbrough because she's also been pretty consistent that'll go a long way towards getting this victory and all of a sudden the Bucks will be 500 in conference play coming back home and they've got the majority of the rest of their games at home in this conference year so big contest momentum Clearly on ETSU's side, coming from Mercer, though they're going to come up against some momentum of their own uh, with the Bulldogs, who have been playing very well.
0: Yeah, and I, I I think it's actually I said three through seven, but now I think it's actually two through six. Uh, I think that's going to mm. be a dog fight. I think Mercer's just going to have some struggles. They'll be above Western, but they're going to they're going to have some struggles. and They're going to get a very uh, mad Chattanooga right. team to to kick things off here. So it'll be interesting to see uh, five thirty. Will be the tip, Tom. No radio covers that because we'll, we'll still be in the ETSU men's basketball, but there is coverage on the ESPN family network, so you can watch that game as well. That'll do it for our recap preview. When we come back, we'll talk ETSU Chattanooga on the men's side. For this time out, Sanders Sidekick, Buccaneers Air Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision. To deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve, we're glad to be your public power provider.
2: Bright Ridge. New name. Renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
0: Sandus to the sidekick back with you Previewing etsu men's basketball chattanooga comes to town etsu and the Mox. i would say renew the rivalry but the bucks have won a lot in a row and you're supposed to win some games in a rivalry i like
1: where you've taken this so now there's no more rivalry
0: it goes back to a conversation i think i had with jim horton and actually gene henley crushed me when he was still covering chattanooga now covers tennessee for knoxville paper but I'd said something about football, and he was like, well, there's really no rivalry. I mean, it's just, you know, nobody knows. I'm like, all right, well, if he tissue wins, would there be one? And he tissue won. That Thursday night game, Green Stadium, I said something to him, and he's like, meh.
2: Eh.
0: <laughs> I was like, all right. So, you lose nine in a row in men's basketball, guess what? It's not a rivalry anymore. There you go.
1: I'm a fan of this because we've gone heated rivalry, but now we've just beaten the rivalry right out of Chattanooga.
0: Yeah, I don't even know if I'm going to even say So do you even
1: care anymore about this? Are you just resigned to it and you're just like, you can sit back and be content about where this has gone?
0: I mean, I still contend that the Southern Conference is hands down better when ETSU and Chattanooga are relevant at the same time. I think it just, the, the fan bases dwarf those of every other team in a league in basketball. I mean, it's not even close uh, when those teams, you look at traditionally, you look at attendance, you look at everything, championship game attendance, you look at all things there are. When those two teams are good, that doesn't mean necessarily they have to always battle for the championship, but when they're both competing at a high level, the Southern Conference rises up, and other people in the league have agreed as well, just sort of throwing that out there sometimes, thinking I will get a lot of heat for that. And a lot of times they're like, no, I 100% agree. We, we you know, As a Southern Conference, we need – chattanooga ETSU, ETSU to be good because of the tradition but the fan bases are able to sort of buy into it and go there but for me uh do i i still want to beat chattanooga by 37 or 40 absolutely okay uh, see I, I, I go ahead you think
1: that well i was going to kind of transition to our actual talk about this okay so you can finish your point if you
0: want Uh no i, I just uh i want to win by 40 all right there you go so Do you think this is the year,
1: then, that Chattanooga and ETSU are both good at the same time? Because obviously Chattanooga's been down a bit recently, ETSU's kind of dominated, but the mocks do look a bit more improved with Matt Ryan. Uh, Gene Baptiste is back, Ramon Villa is back, or Vila, however you say it, and Stefan Kenich is somebody that got a late waiver by the NCAA, so he's appeared in all 14 games since he got that waiver, and he's someone that I actually talked about on the ESPN broadcast for the Cleveland State game for ETSU men's basketball because he was a Cleveland State for two years and was kind of instant offense there as well and along with a wave of other transfers out of the program for the Vikings he found his way to Chattanooga someone that we knew that we would see later on especially if that waiver got uh, or went through I should say and now we're going to have to see him Uh, it seems like they've been really solid in league play but are you buying it?
0: Yeah I'll say this I think they've done a nice job from where they were they were really big on and I think Coach Paris deserves a lot of credit because early it was like well, we got to get freshmen, we're going to build the program, and then things are going ugly, and then he's had a reverse course and be like, mm, well, this isn't Wisconsin. I can't get you know four or five year guys to come and, and be competitive, and a lot of people in the league that is good, other than Wofford, who took their first transfer in the first time in like a billion years. Everyone is getting you know some transfers here and there at public schools. Private schools, Furman, and Wofford ne, ne, not necessarily doing that. Sanford has always gotten top talent and getting guys to transfer from big schools. Now, I know Coach Patterson has done a lot with him, but give Coach Paris a little bit of credit by recruiting some freshmen like David Jean-Baptiste has been with him the whole time he's been there and then adding in some transfers to help out. He also brought in Maurice Commander, Jonathan Scott. He's got some of his guys that, that he's recruited, has been able to come up, and he's built a roster to where – Yes, Matt Ryan has been a little bit of the, they call the hired gun as the grad transfer. He's a one-year guy. He's going to be gone. But there's only you know, and then a guy that doesn't play a lot going to leave, and Justin Brown, other than that, everybody's back. So they've got the nice making of a team that can build off some of this. Plus, let's be honest, we thought it was a four-team race to start the year. You, you know, Western's lost a couple. They get Wofford this weekend. Are they going to be able to bounce back? You know, can Chattanooga go into Freedom Hall, pick up a win? Sort of make their statement that they're here to compete, but you know I think they're very close, or maybe not back, but the how the rest of this year goes, plus with all the key guys they got coming back next year, it'll be interesting to see how Coach Paris grows this team.
1: And I won't mask my opinion to try and prop myself up. I thought they were going to be terrible this year because you had Kevin Easley who was a freshman of the year last year, transfer out, go to TCU. You had a bunch of freshmen transfers. This is bad for the league. Donovan Totley. Uh, now I know he had some issues, he a couple had some, of suspensions oof. at Chattanooga. Ended up he was at, a handful. Ended up at Monmouth. And then Jerry Johnson Jr., Dwayne Moss, uh, Keegan Kirby. A lot of these guys freshmen. Thomas Smallwood was a seven-footer. Uh, Alex Testado. So a lot of guys out, but specifically Totley and easily and the fact that they are putting up the kind of league numbers they are so far they're second in the league in scoring tied for the lead in field goal percentage during league play second in the league in three point percentage during league play defending the arc they're holding opponents to 30 percent from outside during league play and they're rebounding well as a team. I don't think and we'll get to this in a second when I kind of give my keys to how this one will unfold if ETSU is going to get the victory, but I don't think they have maybe the one dominant inside threat. That being said, everybody does kind of crash the glass. They're one of four teams between plus three and plus four in rebounding margin right at the top of the league during league, league play in rebounding margin. So And I know Matt Ryan hired gun, like you said, uh, Vanderbilt, Notre Dame kind of got a bit of a pedigree um, in his previous schools that he's leading the team in scoring and shooting a ton of threes, him and uh, Jean Baptiste to have taken like 250 combined of the nearly 500 that Chattanooga has, but hired gun or not, uh, it's an impressive early stretch that we've seen from him and from this team with Jean Baptiste and Vila. And then that piece that they were maybe missing in Kenich. So, I was completely wrong about this team, at least so far. Now, do I think they're going to be top four? No. I still am going to stick to the opinion that it's UNCG, T S U, Wofford, and Furman. Uh, do I think that they are on par with maybe a Western? I think they could be. And league play will sort that out, but at least to this point in the season, I see nothing that would back me off the opinion that they and Western Carolina, you know, if they're to meet, say, in the... Let's see, what would it be? Uh, first round, second round, is that, pos- is that meeting possible? Would it be a first round matchup? It wouldn't be a first round because they have the 7, 7 10, 10, 8, 8 9. 9. That's right. So
0: the quarter finals. So it's probably not going to happen. Right. But
1: if they were to meet and they will meet during league play during the regular season, I think that's going to be a heck of a game. So I know Western got a lot of the hype early. They've come back down to earth a little bit. This is a chance for Chattanooga, especially with this matchup they've got. And now do I think ETSU is a heavy favorite coming in? Absolutely. But this is a big chance for them to kind of restate their presence in this rivalry that I – kind of agree with you, has fizzled out a little bit.
0: Well, and I think that Chattanooga played Western back on December 3rd, and so that was the the weird December game. Weren't able to, to get that win. They've uh, lost at home to Furman, beat Wofford pretty handily at home, and then really just the last eight minutes to forget about against UNCG in their last outing. And they've had the same time. Otherwise, a tight game until those yeah, last eight minutes. I mean, they were up one. Right. I mean, they were leading. So, to me, there's a couple things. They're 7-1 and one at home. Their only loss at home was to Furman. After they play ETSU they've they've sorta of litmus test the, the big boys of the league, if you will. Include if you want to throw Western there's a possible fifth team. Right now they're two and two. Lost Furman, lost Western. Uh I'm sorry, lost uh Furman. Yeah, lost Western. Uh actually they're one and three. Lost Furman, Western, Greensboro beat Wofford. So if they lose ETSU, they're one and four versus what people are thinking are the top five right this second. They're able to pick up that win that throws a monkey wrench plus it brings the standings back down. ETSU Goes to two losses, which jumbles it back up again. I think the biggest difference is that Coach Paris has, has tried to turn them into Wisconsin in a lot of ways. Number one, all five positions can shoot to three. You know, and I know Vila doesn't, hasn't attempted a lot this year, but he was two for two against ETSU last year. But the four, Matt Ryan's a six seven four man. You know, he's a wing player when he's at Notre Dame and Vanderbilt. He's a four man for Chattanooga. But 6'7", can stretch it, can shoot it, clearly takes a lot of them, makes a lot of them. So they play with toughness. And I think when you think Wisconsin, you think big guys, shoot threes, toughness, whatever. So I think he's brought a lot of that now finally to Chattanooga. I think they're a little bit away from from being there. But this could be a major step for them if they hit it. To me, the big difference is can they get to double-digit threes? Eight and 8-0 oh when they hit 10 or more threes. I think ETSU is going to do with did against West Carolina. You're not going to stop them from hitting threes because they take an absurd amount of threes like VMI, West Carolina, Chattanooga. Those are the top three teams that are attempting threes. So it's going to be tough if they're taking 30 threes. Now, you could get the Vanderbilt game where it's the rare 0 and 25, but let's be honest, that doesn't happen hardly ever. So I think if they can hold them to 5, 6, 7, 8 threes, it's going to be a good day for ETSU. If it gets to be 10, 11, 12, 13 threes, certainly not only could it be a long day for ETSU, but it could be a huge monumental win for Chattanooga. One, to break the nine-game losing streak against ETSU. The second thing is to put a statement on, hey, guys, we are back a little sooner than people thought we'd be. So
1: bringing together what I was talking about with Western Carolina and Chattanooga, and then your point about threes, and I'm glad you brought up that outlier game that is you know, kind of thrown in the middle of the non-conference season, uh, as it was back in December 3rd, because I had in my notes, that was... Already a heck of a contest. Now I, I don't put as much stock into that as the one they'll actually play in league play in I the agree. heart of it, just because it's your team is designed and coaching is always built around. You know you, you're trying to get better throughout the year, so both teams are going to be more at their best. They're going to be peaking when they meet again, but it was a heck of a game the first time around. Chattanooga goes up ten at the half. It was fifty nine to fifty two then with nine seventeen to go, and Western goes in a thirty five eighteen run in the game. 35 points in 9 minutes and 17 seconds, and that was a day that Chattanooga, yeah, they made 9 threes, went 9 of 29. Now, that's not a, a terrible percentage, right around, what, 33, 34%, 31%. So it's interesting to see that meeting and how that will either, A, affect the second meeting, B, how the teams have grown since that first meeting, and like you said, how Chattanooga and their game plan works out in that second meeting, and how really a team that's kind of I'd say on the upswing, you know, any team, not just Chattanooga, but any team that's on the upswing, I think it's much like a team making a run, right? How long can it last and be legitimate until teams do get the scouting report about you, you know, and your personnel is figured out. And the second time coming through the league, how do game plans change to try and take away what you do? So that'll be interesting there. Now, in terms of this matchup for ETSU and Chattanooga, this is the first of what, two and 10 days or yeah, 2 and 12 quick, days. pretty quick the way kind of rotate around. Or whatever the case may be, I really think, and I, I feel like I end up harping on this in a lot of the matchups for ETSU, and maybe it's just because they're one of the only mid-major teams that you come across that has the legitimate size, the legitimate inside threats to go along with the wing players like the Bo Hodgeses and the, uh, in the backcourt, the Patrick Goods, the shooters with the Trey Boyds, the spark plug off the bench, and the Isaiah Tisdale lockdown defender type pieces. But as I mentioned, it doesn't strike me as a team that's extremely stout inside. Only 31 blocks all year. They don't really have that dominant rebounder. Their only height above 6'9 is Justin Brown, who, as you mentioned, doesn't really play a lot, just eight or nine minutes, may not play in this game at all. We'll see Jaden Frazier, who doesn't play, has not played this year. Those two are 6'10". If Jerome Rodriguez plays, I'm really excited to see him and Vila Go at it down low because Vila is very strong, 6'8 and 240. So he's solidly built, but he's the only one above 6'7 that's getting any significant minutes. So again, Lucas Goussaint, big key. Will Rodriguez play? Big key. Can Joe Hughley, if Rodriguez does not play, continue his solid stretch? Can he step outside, stretch the floor, and take away the best? post presence that they have in Vila on the offensive end of the court for ETSU defensively how do they how do they defend Vila I don't think they're going to have too much of a problem honestly I just when you look at the size of a lot of the teams ETSU comes up against it's just so easy to pinpoint go down low and when you don't have the size then the defense has to collapse and it leaves open shots right I mean that's your basic basketball principles will Chattanooga try and guard Lucas Guisson one-on-one if Jerome Rodriguez plays will it be Vila versus Rodriguez then who guards Goussant? so there's just not good matchups for a lot of teams that comes up against ETSU and I think this is one for Chattanooga despite their strong recent play I think it's going to be a real uphill climb. And for the Bucks, if they're what they've been on the offensive end, because this, I again, I think is a key game to keep emerging from the offensive funk they had a couple of weeks ago, if that offense is truly back, this is another 85- or 90-point game for me.
0: You take a look at the a couple of the losses, and you mentioned at West Carolina, they just got outscored down the stretch. UNCG, they got outscored down the stretch. The one they did beat was Wofford, and they just came out. Firing on all cylinders. They led by 23 at half, mm. 7 of 14 from three. They held Wofford to just eight field goals uh, in the first half and beat him 72 59. And so, but the, the jumping out to 23, and maybe that was too big of a lead for Wofford to come back. Maybe a little disturbing trend for him is if it teams have been within a shouting distance, whether that's a seven, eight point lead against Western or one point lead against Greensboro they weren't able to maintain on the road. So maybe there's a difference. At home, they got a little more confidence, shooting the ball a little better, and can't quite figure it out on the road. We'll wait and see. But I think that's definitely something to look out for as well. And I think ETSU, you just can't let Chattanooga get comfortable early, right? You're expecting a big crowd. I think there was less than 1,000 tickets available um, when we went on the air. So, I, I'm, you know, we taped this Friday, you know, a little bit before lunch. So uh, expecting some of those tickets, if not the rest, to be gone by the time game time goes, you know, has Chattanooga – not barring playing a Tennessee or Virginia Tech. You know, have they seen a crowd like that that has some energy that is looking forward to beating them? So we'll just have to wait and see particularly how that goes. I think the the quick start for Chattanooga is a must, I think, inside Freedom Hall.
1: I'll say quick uh, – sorry, strong showings against Tennessee – and Virginia Tech and those are teams now I get Tennessee isn't the Tennessee of last year but they're still having a good year they're still third in the SEC or whatever is four and two in the league and Virginia Tech with Mike Young is having a very good first season under the former Wofford coach so to stay within I think it was 12 against Tennessee and then what five point game on the road in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech you yeah. know If those crowds did show up in mass, as I'm imagining they did, not looking at the attendance numbers, if ETSU's crowd shows up in mass, as I imagine it will, hearing the ticket numbers, they've responded pretty well in the past to that. Uh, That being said, it is a bit different when there is, you know, called a rivalry or call it not a rivalry, the in state familiarity, uh, the. fact that you're going out and fighting for perhaps a lot of the same or similar recruits you're recruiting against each other there's a history on and off the court there's a lot of differences I think when you're out of league versus in league so how does any of that perhaps some of these guys play together at some point you know and with basketball maybe it's a bit different than football where you have guys from all over but uh, still I think that it is a bit different that being said I wouldn't expect a different result than what you saw against Tennessee or Virginia Tech from Chattanooga. The only thing that may change, I think, is if ETSU really comes out with the uh, determination and the drive to really put this one away early. They've had a week to prepare, and for opponents of ETSU, usually that's a very bad thing.
0: Both teams have had the same time off, so we'll see which gotcha. one comes ready to go. So that's our preview to issue Men's Basketball 3:30. Airtime, 4 o'clock tip: the mocks and the bucks from Freedom Hall. Steps out for a timeout. One of our new favorite segments, Fail, Fail Down. Down. Right for this time. i out here with Sandra Psychic, Buccaneers, Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the
2: register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three, fail. One,
1: two, three. Fail. One, two, three. Fail down. One, two, three. Fail. fail.
2: One, two, three. Fail. One, two, three.
1: Fail. One, two, three. Fail down. Fail now. Fail, fail. Now. fail. Now. fail. now. Fail. Fail. Fail, fail. now First fail. First fail. First fail. Fail downs. Ocho Cinco. Or is he back to Chad Johnson now? He doesn't wear number 85 anymore. he's still Ocho. But he's still Ocho. Okay, we'll go with Ocho. Does not show up for his XFL tryout. And here's kind of the timeline. Now, I think it was about a week and a half ago or so he said, I'm going to go try out for the XFL to be a kicker. Now we know about his recent and semi-remove now at this point escapades would be a good uh, word for it I think with dabbling in soccer tried out for Sporting Kansas City of the MLS I think he actually played in a scrimmage or something a friendly quote unquote along those lines with Sporting Kansas City I think that was like 7 or 8 years ago but then this year he played for Boca Raton FC sounds very nice Boca Raton FC of it's a beautiful the beautiful place actually the UPSL now I haven't heard of that but he did score a number of goals, and from what I understand, you can't find stats on this team because it is a little bit off the beaten path, but from what I understand, he did score a couple of big ones down the stretch in a title race, and I wasn't able to find any recaps of those, so take it for what it's worth, but I think that a paper, down there, a paper, down, well, a paper down there— I'm not
0: liking your level of dedication to this. paper
1: down there—I've searched for a long time, actually. A paper down there had a few different details. The UPSL apparently not one to be covered by a lot of legitimate news sources— outside of what we saw on Chad Ocho Cinco, former Cincinnati Bengals receiver. He offered to come out of retirement to help the Broncos this year. So he's just kind of throwing the net out there and saying, whatever I can get, I'm going to go play soccer. Then I'm going to come back and try and be in the NFL as a wide receiver. And then with this venture with the XFL that was allegedly going to happen, he said, I'm trying to find a path back to the NFL. And apparently he wanted to do it as a kicker. And that, I believe, is right around when he posted a allegedly 60-yard field goal that he made on Instagram. Now, I am not a good judge of yardage, especially from the back angle where you're kind of resting your phone up against a box or somebody's holding it down at field level and you only get the shot towards the goal post. Tough to tell. But he says it was a 60-yarder, celebrated like it was a 60-yarder. It would appear, especially in the XFL, unproven commodity right now. They did sign, I think, Garrett Hartley in their kicker tryout that did commence without Chad Johnson, Hartley, a former New Orleans Saints kicker, and a pretty good one. So there are some legitimate names that are going there, but you'd think XFL, Chad Cinco seems to fit. Ocho didn't think so and didn't show up. Who fails? Chad Cinco for continuously trying to just be in the spotlight with whatever he does, or is it the XFL for offering him in the first place, knowing that he probably wouldn't show up? Uh,
0: an offer for a tryout to me is not a big deal. What do you lose? Number one, you get publicity if he shows up, and he got publicity if he didn't. So I'm fine with XFL there. I think it's, I think it's on Chad. I got on, Chad. Chad. Come on, Chad. former Pat. Yeah, caught one touchdown pass. Chad. Uh, now he also had handled a couple of kickoffs for the Bengals before. And uh, kicked an extra point for New England. Yes. Uh, so it's not like he doesn't. And he was a known, um soccer fan. Yep. Followed the sport. Played it. Really loved it. Apparently, he's pretty decent, right? I, you know, clearly athletic and size wise. I mean, you get you know six one one ninety is pretty good, especially if you're a striker, right? I don't know a lot about soccer. Ooh, look, listen yeah, to look you. At that, All right. Like. So, but I, I think it's more. Him. He got relevant there, missed out. I think it's more on Chad that that's a fail than on the XFL. I think it's brilliant about the XFL because people talked about it for a long time.
1: Second inning. Let's see, does that work or is it more. Second inning. I like the second one. Second inning. These next three are all innings, quote unquote. Because the Baseball Hall of Fame Mm. inducted its most recent class, or plans to do so, I should say. The vote released. We'll talk about the vote in depth. But in the second inning, one voter did not vote for Derek Jeter as a Hall of Famer. This is like the third or fourth Derek Jeter thing recently. I don't know exactly why I've gone the Derek Jeter direction. But he's been in the news cycle a lot for whatever reasons, uh, including somebody thinking that he was railroaded out of baseball because Derek Jeter was better than him. Derek gets 99.7% of the vote to be a Hall of Famer, second most ever. You can name the first, I'm sure. It was very recent. Mariano Rivera. Mariano Rivera, 100%. Previously number two, Ken Griffey Jr., the kid. Ken Griffey Jr., a complete natural, incredible baseball player. Derek Jeter bumps him from the number two spot for most votes received percentage-wise all time. Is it a fail on the guy that didn't vote for Derek Jeter? Or is it a fail on those that look at Jeter's resume and think it's worthy of
0: unanimousness U- unanimousness I, I just, I'm not unanimity to, I'm, no, I'm, no, not, no. I'm not I'm not going to be able to say that regardless I, here's my the the baseball hall of fame has always been a little laughable to me because there's there's it's the one thing where they protect the first ballot guy, then it turned into we got to protect the one hundred percent of the votes now the question is. And this is what we'll never know because apparently MLB's already come out and said they will not reveal who it is, which is funny because sports writers, that's all they do is they write opinions and put their name to it. But then you're not going to put your name on this one. It's it's funny. I've always thought that was funny. But here's the question. Did he, the voter, did he not vote for Jeter because he knew he was getting in and was trying to keep somebody on the ballot, which people have done before, or was they making a statement about the randomness of, why well, I don't think he should be 100 percent or Because it wasn't going to be the first ballot. That was a done deal. Everyone knew he was going to get in on the first. So was it somebody being snarky? So I have two takes on that. If it's because they were trying to keep somebody else relevant on the ballot, I'm actually okay with that because, I mean, let's be honest, who really cares other than Yankee fans if Jeter was one vote shy of unanimous? He's in. There, there, there's, no, there's not a side wing. There's not there's been a side wing. There's been an uproar, though. There's been an uproar. By Yankee fans. It's not <laughs> all of baseball. I don't. I think media folks that have crushed are mad because they won't put his name to it. That's what they're mad about. They're not 100% mad because they didn't vote for that. I've heard plenty of takes on different networks, and most of them are just upset that you can't find out who it is to ask the question I would like to know. Were you trying to keep somebody on it so that was deserving so they get an extra year to try to get voted in? Was that your statement, or were you just being snarky? If you're just being snarky, it's a fail on the guy because just get over yourself. And baseball's the worst. I think it's the worst job of it. I think football's the smart. they celebrate everything. People get into football and people are like, oh, I can't believe guys. Who cares? It's a Hall of Fame. You want to celebrate. You want to keep things going. Baseball lives in its own world. It always has. That's why most people are tuning away from it because they can't stand things like this. Uh, and so I think it's a fail – if the guy was being snarky and just somehow believed he wasn't worthy of the 100%, if he was doing it to maybe protect another athlete, baseball player, that could be worthy, you know. What if it came out that, and of course I think Dale Murphy's just passed his last one, but what if it was to keep Dale Murphy on? Then would all the Braves fans around the world that think Dale Murphy should be in, would they hate that? Yankee guy's going to hate it regardless. Other than that, now, what if it's a Boston writer just said, Screw it! I'm a Red Sox fan. Then I like to play. Let the rivalry go. That's what I'm talking about.
1: Here's just some highlights: 14 time All Star, five time World Series champion, World Series MVP, AL, AL Rookie of the Year, five time his... Gold Glove, five time Silver Slugger, goes on and on. And did you
0: read his postseason numbers? I, I don't did know if not. it was on. So I did hear that he's the ultimate winner, right? He, he That's has his, played his number one, one credential. in 55 or something. Nearly like a full that. season. So he's played almost a full season. Hit 308. I don't remember the rest of the numbers, but I remember that he played like 155 games and hit like 308.
1: 308, 20 homers, 61 RBI. That's a heck
0: of a year, but he's doing against the best of the best.
1: His career numbers are pretty similar. Average roughly 15, 16 home runs a year, 310 batting average. So in
0: the postseason, he hit more than his average.
1: 358 stolen bases, two points under the average. But But home run, I'm sorry. You said 15 home runs, he hit 20. Yep. So he's essentially right on
0: par, just very consistent, consistently extremely above average. In in the highest pressure situations, against the best of the best in that season, team-wise at least. And I'm sure, and there's no way you can't tell me he didn't face a couple Cy Youngs here and there. Oh, no doubt. During that as well. So, to me, uh, I think it's a no-brainer. And he was in a no-brainer. I'm just, I've never been appalled as the baseball people of unanimous First but I've always laughed because there's not a separate wing for any of that. And there are people that will take the stand and I've heard them have writers on and them try to explain why the first ballot has to be protected. Why who just get over yourself?
1: I'll say this. If anything made him a first ballot Hall of Famer, it was the late in his career type stuff, the 3,000th hit being a home run, the final hit in his final game in Yankee Stadium, a walk-off. You know, pretty cool stuff. And I also did love when they took out Mariano Rivera for the last time. was it? Pettit and Jeter walked out, took the ball from him. It was very storybook and all, but I don't know. The numbers, 310, 358 steals, very good. You know, 260 home runs, very good. 1,300 RBI, very good. It's just the fact that I think people love that he was a winner and he was a As I was going to say, let me ask you this: if if
0: he played for the Brewers or the Twins, twins. or the Twins, he'd hit home with me. No
1: chance. He's a he might even be a first ballot Hall of Famer
0: and didn't win a World Series, right? It's laughable. All right, that's why I'm not appalled.
1: Third down, third down, could be third strike. Is it a third strike for the Baseball Writers Association for the inclusion on the ballot of these players? Jose Valverde, who pitched in the league for 12 years, 27th all-time in saves. Oh, not bad. Made three all-star games. Heath Bell, pitched for 11 years, had 168 saves, 74th all-time in saves, an ERA of 3.49 and made three all-star games. Sean Figgins, who played over 100 games just seven times in a season, and under his career highlights on Wikipedia, 2005 stolen base champion, 2002 World Series champion, 2009 all-star. Just one all-star game to his name. J.J. Putz, one-time all-star. One-time all-star. 57th in saves with 189 because he played one more a year than Heath Bell, really is why he was able to bump up that way. Uh, played in just one playoff series, 2.1 innings pitch total in the postseason. And then Carlos Pena, who played on eight different teams in 13 years, struck out almost 1,600 times. That's nearly 500 more times that he struck out than he got a hit and also had a career Two thirty-two batting average. Which of those is the biggest fail for being on the belt in the first place? First of
0: all, all, you need to hold your tongue on Payne. He was a key in my fantasy baseball championship one year. So, Payne gets a pass Uh, for helping me, the raging hemophiliacs, picking up a fantasy baseball championship, but that being said, all of them are terrible. I, like, first of all, I, what are I, they I, doing? I, on the well, I never understood some of these things on how got these. Is there a criteria? Yeah, like, is he, I, are you? I th- like what's fo- the vetting system? Well, here's the question: Is it every because it's not? In football, is pretty much once you're out five years, boom, everybody there, and then there's sort of a vote to get the top whatever on there. Baseball, I've always been unclear. Like, is it when you're out five years, everybody's not. Up
1: for it? That was like thirty-five people around the ballot, right, right, and and you, and what
0: like they try to come up with, you know, a couple hundred or whatever it is. So I don't know. Maybe it was just like, oh, I got to come up a couple hundred. Here we go. Let's throw these guys on there, but none of them are worthy. No, and and did they? Are they even going to make enough vote to stay on the next year? I doubt it. So, because
1: that's part to, of it. deal.
0: Do you want to know the results? Yes, of I do. Those specific players. Yes, I players. do. Yes, I do.
1: Only one of them got a vote. Can you name that person? Because I would have said. Just looking at the numbers, you probably Valverde. Valverde. Valverde.
0: My guess is Figgins.
1: Not Figgins. J.J. Putz got a vote. Yeah. Bell, Peña, Valverde, and Figgins got none. Yeah, that's along a with, fail. Along that's the greatest
0: others. fail you've probably given me since we've had this. Along with three others, Brian Roberts.
2: Who oh, yeah. Brian.
1: Good for a few whoa, years whoa. on the Orioles.
0: He broke uh, former ETSU uh, baseball coach uh, Clay Green's all-time SEC stolen base record. Here's a fun fact for you. Go ahead. That
1: doesn't make him uh, Okay, anyway. Uh, Brian Roberts, Raphael for call, was on the ballot. And then Josh Beckett, who I know, Red Sox, right, and holds a special place in that massive franchise's heart, but...
0: All three of those guys, at least names you recognize way more than the other guys. True. That's a- true. name a- a- recognition... A- a- unless you're deep fantasy baseball players like we both are, then... You didn't know those names you just threw out there. The normal common fan didn't recognize any of them unless he happened to play for their team. They have no idea who they were. I think the last three you named, I think people would at least know who they played for or what position or had some sort of clue.
1: I'm bitter that Putz got the one vote over for call and Beckett. I really don't mind about the others. Brian Roberts was a good, solid player. But, I mean, Hall of Fame. We're talking Hall of Fame here. Fourth fail. Fourth fail. Strike? Fourth strike? fail. Fourth strike. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, 14% short of receiving the nod. They've each gone from 54% to 61% in the last four years. They have two years left. Do the Baseball Writers
0: Association and The Veterans voting, Committee go put them in. You think the Veterans Committee really will The Veterans Committee, if they're putting in Harold Baines for getting a Is that a fail to put going, them in? It, it depends on where you come from. To
1: me... And that's what I'm wondering. Where me, does Jay Sando stand on steroids? He's clearly taken plenty himself.
0: I, yeah. <laughs> I have uh i'm going I, to me they should be in I'm, I'm just they just should and i whatever you want to do i mean at some point in time you're going to draw them because the truth is all right those guys did whether they admit didn't admit whatever they did at some point in time there's still going to be that era you there's still a cloud of did they or did they not and you can't go back and retro test everybody
1: That'd be cool. What are you gonna
0: do? What are you gonna do? So how you also do you, put how do you know Rose in? Sure?
1: Okay, you put Rose in.
0: Me? Yeah, yeah. I would have been over myself a long time ago. Okay, did, did that. So you are not
1: gonna hold the garage on the cheating. Baseball and and it,
0: here's the bad thing: I think they will put Rose in, but when he's dead. And then what good does mm. that do? Like if they're not gonna put Rose in, I don't. I'm not appalled either way. But if they're not gonna put him in, they don't put him in. When he dies and they put him in to me, that's awful. That is awful. Like if you're going to put him in, put him in. You're not going to put them in, dial, everyone go on the high horse and go about it. You know, when they just was betting on baseball, you're like, eh, then we bet on his team, like, eh, and then years down the road, he bet on his team to lose. Now you're like, all right, fine. Like, so that's To me, worse than steroids, and people argue that either way. If you're betting on your team to lose, that, th- there's no way around that. You know. And then, again, there's the, the pitchers now have come out, well, what's worse, steroids or them knowing what pitch was coming? The buzzers, specifically. Right. So then you've got that to deal with. Is that going to affect anybody or not? Baseball's always had its issues. To me, the, the, Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he did any of that. I mean, the Which numbers, is the confusing part. I mean, the fact it, that he was speed right, and power. 40-40 seasons. Was, it was the ego of they're talking about McGuire and Sosa, not me. It was the ego of they're not talking about me. I'm the greatest player, and to his credit, I'm the greatest player, and I haven't cheated Yet, but yet nobody's paying attention to me, so... Probably part of the reason they didn't pay attention was he was on
1: Pittsburgh. No one cares. That, too. So you want Bonds, Clemens, and Rosen? I think they all should be in. Again,
0: I think the sport should be celebrated. Jay
1: Sando's cheating advocate on the Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights, all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucs. Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azelle field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSM AM 640, The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year.
0: If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model citizen when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy.
1: The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it
0: overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is
1: getting drafted, maybe even in the first round.
0: No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. All right, my favorite segment. I'm winning and Mike is losing. Read the stats. 16, you've gotten correct. I've gotten
1: 14. Boom. That's out of 61 for each of us. Hall of Fame status. Pretty good numbers. We're both above the Mendoza line. I'm only two behind you. I got to figure this out though quick because we're running out of time. Yeah, I would say it. Santos and the sidekick has got about this, 6 weeks left in this This season. is going
0: to feel good. Hey loser, go first. <laughs> Felt great. I should have known that
1: Felt was coming great. after 4 months Felt of me leading. Uh, First time you've been able to say it, and congratulations, I'll take it. Uh, 60 or less points will be allowed by both ETSU Women's Basketball and ETSU Men's Basketball. It's bold because Chattanooga put up 92 against Citadel and 105 against Sanford. They're going to come into Freedom Hall on Saturday and get shut down. As for Sanford, they put up 60-plus in every conference game so far. They are 3-1 and one in the league. In fact, going back to, let's see, every game this year, every game this year that they played, they have scored 60 or more ETSU women's basketball. is going to pull a page from the old Sanford book, muck it up, get a victory down in Birmingham
0: by holding Sanford to 60 or less. 60 or less for both ETSU basketball opponents on Saturday. I'm going to give you the dynamic duo inside-outside point total. No, I'm not talking about Pat Goodromey Rodriguez. No, I'm not talking about Trey Boyd and Joe Hughley. I'm talking Davian Williamson, Lucas Gasson will combine for 24 or more points. Davian finds his way, and I think the non inside presence, Goussaint, will be able to go. Now, if uh, Rodriguez goes, it probably throws a monkey wrench in my whole prediction altogether, but if he doesn't, then I'm feeling pretty good about Davian Williamson and Lucas Gasson. I think Davian's ready the second half of this season to kind of pick it back up and. Help the team on the scoring. So that's going to be my bold prediction for you, Tishman's basketball.
1: Another number one will fall. Florida over Baylor. Florida just beat Auburn by 22. They almost pulled an upset on the road against SEC leader LSU. Baylor's 15-game win streak will be snapped. They've been on the precipice of that ending for a couple of games now. they won by seven. Then by four in their last two games over the two Division One universities in Oklahoma. Well, the two biggest ones, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think this is where it all comes crashing down for Baylor, who are, by the way, never a team I will buy into. And that goes way back to the, I guess, early and mid-2000s, maybe even late 2000s when they had the Quincy ACs and just all the athletes that were uh, not necessarily tremendous basketball players, but just above-the-rim type guys, and they never really played sound, fluid solid basketball now that's not them now but i am still holding that grudge and that fits perfectly for my bold prediction because florida will pull
0: it off and it will
1: be another number one by the way said.
0: southern conference mild upset western carolina at home will beat wofford
1: mild upset is that a bold prediction
0: uh, do you think it's a bold prediction do i didn't even you? listen
1: what was the matchup i just wanted to pick that out right away
0: western carolina uh-huh. at home mm-hmm. over wofford Walford coming off two huge wins or rocking and rolling. Uh, I'll, how about by five or more? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. By five or more. Sure.
1: I don't believe in Western Carolina. I just. I don't I mean, they're know. An underdog. They're an underdog at home, me. but I will take Take a uh, look and see what it is if you do know what the uh, the spread I'll, I'll, is on that, just so, so I will attempt by can the time it. we get
0: up, just by the time we get off air. I don't know if I can pull it up in time. That's
1: okay. I'll give my last one. Yeah, if we have to do an
0: extra ruling, we'll just put it in the comments of our uh, post. For, there you go, good comment. call. Okay, go.
1: Michigan over Illinois. I am coming to the Jay Sandoz side at least momentarily briefly now that being said jay Santos is the type of fan that when a team is struggling disowns as we've seen in the new year's resolution with the new england patriots being cast away and reeling in the tennessee titans for his new year's about. resolution go chiefs back to the tape the super bowl go back
0: to the tape my chiefs and patrick mahomes listen to the last bowl predictions
1: i will tell you that it is the truth any of them this year the new year's resolution embraced i am going to come to your side of the aisle or at least stand up for a team that you have probably at this point said i'm done with you until you start winning again. Michigan at just two and five in the league and having lost three in a row in the Big Ten, they cannot possibly be this bad after beating, well, I guess North Carolina doesn't look like a great win now, but Gonzaga, that's strong. Now, Gonzaga also is the quote unquote mid major, so the fact that Michigan Big Ten team, you know, influential run under Juwan Howard, maybe not so much of a, I guess, Persuasive one either. Maybe I'm poking holes in my old bowl prediction, but I'm going to stick with it against Illinois. They're at home, and I think they will beat the number 21 ranked Illini, Michigan over Illinois. The Wolverines are going to figure it out, and I think be a tournament team. But the bowl prediction stops it this Saturday because I'm not willing to go out on that much of a limb.
0: Tiger, I'm going to PGA Tour. Tiger Ooh, Woods, top three, one of these tied for top three or better. Torrey Pines this weekend. He is currently 20 something. As they played Thursday, they played the first round, but he's in 20-something place. okay, Tied with like 11, 14 other guys, so he's in the top 40-ish right now. But I'm going to go with the uh, top three finish. Tied for third or better, because you don't have a billion ties in and tops. Mm. Pines, to predict, you know not willing to predict a win. No, I'm waiting for the Masters. Doesn't he
1: own Tory Pines, he too? He does. He's just absolutely crushed. It. He does. I do love me some Tigers. I'm always in favor. Now, you're making me split allegiances here because I love Tiger, but I hate when you're right.
0: Mm.
1: So what am I, what's a guy to do?
0: Mm. Pull from him to finish four. Mm, very see? good. Although That's I'd, a great th- showing, man. Uh,
1: yeah. Mm. I'd like to see him win so that I can come back and be, yeah, see, you didn't believe. You yeah. didn't believe in Tiger. Yeah. You just gave the easy, took the easy way out and just floated a bold prediction out there hoping for the best, but you wouldn't go out in the lamb of a Tiger win. That's what I'm hoping for.
0: Go, Tiger. But... Go all the way. Don't go part of the way. Right, we'll recap the weekend's basketball games. We'll recap my 10 point victory by getting all three of these correct and much more. Sandus and the sidekick. Anything else? Beat chat.
2: Buccaneers, right network! See ya.